Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Uh, thank you, Father, for bringing us to this place once again where we can study the book of life. We know, Father, that there are no words like your words. And for that reason, uh, we seek to understand them more fully so that we can uh, govern our lives after the instructions that you have left for us. Um, Father, we know that we are not going to be able to fully understand everything that we uh, read and study. And for that reason, uh, we seek out the Holy Spirit. We know that he is the one who is going to unlock the meaning of the text to us. Lord, we know that you have given uh, interpretations to others in the body. We know that that even natural men with a, um, a, a degree of um, studying, uh, of learning, uh, in uh, training in biblical languages and the uh, uh, Jewish culture and uh, Israel's history and ancient Greek, even even without the Holy Spirit, there's going to be insights and nuggets that we can glean from the text uh, from a natural perspective, meaning even without the leading of the Spirit. But Father, it's that that unique uh, word of of life changing power and fruit that comes about as we avail ourselves of the Ruach Kodesh, as we seek the author of the text, as we um, as we seek to to see the Messiah in the text, Lord, that's that's where the the, the lasting uh, value is going to come in. And so, Lord, uh, it is for that reason that we 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 stop and we pray and we ask you, Holy Spirit, come into this place, come into this room, come into our hearts and fill us afresh with a a a, a vision of Messiah, with a, a a sense of His glory and of His presence, uh, with with an urgency to know that the times are short and that we need to be about our Father's business. Uh, Lord, give us a heart to do what is pleasing to you. Uh, help us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, uh, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have raised us up as families, as communities, as husbands and wives, as sons and daughters, seeking your face, uh, uh, seeking your forgiveness, uh, turning away from sin, seeking to glorify the Messiah, looking to share the gospel with those around us. Uh, Lord, what an awesome responsibility that you've given to us to, to take these words of life and give them to others. So, uh, For all those reasons, Lord, that's why we study, that's why we press in. 
And that's why we seek to be pleasing to you. Uh, be with each and every person who has joined me tonight, those who are with me live in the Skype class, as well as those who couldn't make it tonight. I pray that you'll bless those who are listening to this uh, podcast by way of the internet, by way of iTunes, by way of whatever uh, means that that comes to, that they find themselves at. Lord, uh, I pray that you'll continue to bless them and raise them up. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me again. Uh, I'm s- delighted that that everyone can uh, uh, meet with me week by week via Skype or just via Internet, uh, MP3, whatever means you're listening to this commentary. Uh, my name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi, and I'm a Torah teacher, and I am a member at Congregation Kehilat Tunava in Thornton, Colorado. And as I say each week, um, if you are ever in the Denver, Colorado area, just north of Denver is Thornton, and we meet there each week every Shabbat at 1 p.m. Uh, Denver time there, and you're certainly invited to come and join us. Uh, and I also mention every every week that you're not going to find me there, even though I'm a long-standing member there, going on almost 20 years I've been a member there. But um, God has seen fit to park me all the way on the other side of the world in South Korea. And so this is where I'm at, and I know I'm where I need to be. And so, uh, by God's grace, Bezat Hashem, I'm able to bring you these weekly teachings. We meet each Saturday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So set your clocks accordingly, and you can meet with us via live, via Skype. You just need some device that can connect to the Internet, you know, laptop computer or desktop computer or smartphone, iPhone, Android phone, or uh, iPad or whatever, your tablet uh, device, just connect with us and um, you can join us each week. The information to follow along with the teachings is available on my website. Just head on out to www.tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. Right on the homepage, click on the Galatians commentary link. All of the relevant information for the study is available right there. You can follow along with the audio notes that I record each week. You can follow along with the written notes that are available there if you're interested in printing them out. It's a PDF document about or a little about 200 pages or so, and we just meet uh, for about an hour each week live for Skype, and then we have a little after chat or an after session chat where we just. Uh, schmooze and and go over questions or comments or corrections or whatever uh, we want to do during that afterwards and I don't record that chat so if you're interested in just picking my brain or or, you know shooting questions back and forth with one another um, join us live via Skype and then stick around for the after chat session so that we can uh, uh, send questions and answers to one another okay Um, one last thing uh, we meet for 10 weeks, and, we, and then we take a break for two weeks. And so we are on week 85, and let's date stamp our recording tonight is uh, December 30th, 2017. We're almost done with the year here, ready to go into a new year. And we've been going along through this Galatians study for almost, I'm sorry, for a little over two years. And uh, we're in Galatians chapter 5, and tonight we're going to start in verse uh, 18 tonight with our study. But let's entertain some liturgy like I'm fond of doing. We'll read a little bit of Hebrew, a little bit of Greek, and then we'll jump into the study. And the uh, Hebrew selection is the one we've been using for the um, for the last few weeks. It's um, in the section in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. It's such a wonderful passage that is 
that is unfortunately all too often overlooked within uh, uh, historic Christian circles due to the nature of God speaking directly to uh, uh, Israel as a nation and explaining something through the mouth of the prophet, uh, a very important promise that would await them in the future. And unfortunately, because of the the um, the tradition that's been handed down through Christianity, that that there's been a separation or or a kind of a dispensation break between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or between the people of Israel and the people of the Church, or something like that. Because of that disconnect, then all too often these very uh, pertinent passages are overlooked. So I want to use that as my liturgy. We're just going to look at verses. Uh, we're in thir- chapter 36, and we're just going to cover the same verses we have in the past, which is verse uh, 22 through 28, just that short uh, section there. So let's read that. I'll read the English out of the um, 1917 Jewish Publication Society version, and then I'll go back and read the Hebrew corresponding with that. And then very briefly, I'll explain why, the, why I chose this section. Uh, the English reads, starting in verse 22, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which ye have profaned among the nations whither ye came. Verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which hath been profaned among the nations, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall, sanct- when I shall be sanctified in you before your eyes. I'm sorry, before their eyes. Verse 24, For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and I will bring you into your own land. Of course, we see this happening now in our own day and age with Israel being brought out of the nations that she was exiled to and being brought back into the land and even being given her own state uh, since you know this modern 19th, uh, 20th century, 21st century, we're already seeing some of this prophecy come to pass. Um, uh, let's continue. Verse 25, And I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Of course, this verse hasn't happened in its fullness yet, but it's still a future prophecy, therefore it's important for us to study. Verse 26, this is, this is the key, right, right? These next few verses are the kicker. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And then verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my ordinances and do them. And we're going to talk tonight in the book of Galatians about walking in the Spirit, uh, keeping step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. The topic will be the, the Spirit. And so um, Ezekiel 36, 27 is going to uh, be the tie-in to our passage from the Tanakh. And then the final Pasuk, uh, verse 28, for our liturgy tonight, And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. All right, again, a pertinent passage, an, a, 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 a fantastic promise given from God to his people. And we see parts of these uh, promises are already being fulfilled in our day and age with Israel being brought back into the land and given her own state and given her own capital. They've taken control of Jerusalem again, even though she is still more or less a secular state. She has not experienced the regenerative uh, work of the Spirit as a collective group. She has not uh, received the new heart as a, as a as a corporate body yet. She's not walking in God's ways and 
you know, she's like I said, she's still a secular state at this point in time in history, but we know that God's words shall not fail, and therefore we can look with anticipation to someday watching the rest of this passage unfold before our, our very eyes. So what's the, the, the takeaway? Don't give up on Israel yet, people. Don't give up on her yet. She may be a, a secular and in many ways a godless um, people group at the moment uh, with the majority of, of Israelites uh, not professing faith in Yeshua. But one day, by God's grace and by God, the power of the God, by the power of His Spirit, these verses will come to pass. Omain, Omain. Let's go back and read the Hebrew of those same passages, starting in 22. Uh, we read, L'chein emor levet Yisrael ko amar Adonai Adonai lo lema'an chamani ose beit Yisrael ki im l'ashem kadshi asher chelaltem bagoyim asher batem sham. Verse 23, V'kidash Et Shmi Hagadol Ham Hulal Bagoyim Asher Khelaltim Batoham Vayadu Hagoyim Ki Ani Adonai Naum Adonai Lunai Bahikad Shi Bahem Leenehim. And notice I'm saying Adonai Lunai, it's because actually in Hebrew, uh, for those of you who are following me in the live class, right here, this word that, that I just highlighted in blue actually literally says Adonai as in A-D-O-N-A-I in the English, Adonai. But then this next word actually is the tetragrammaton name of God, many times pronounced Yehovah, many times pronounced Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, Yehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, Yehovah, various types of pronunciations. I, I'm of the inclination that Yahweh is the more accurate of those pronunciations. But since we have um, Adonai, Yahweh, uh, many times I'll say Adonai, Adonai. Um, so I hope you guys aren't put off by that. All right, uh, let's continue in verse 24. Verse 25. Verse 26, Verse 27, in verse 28, the last pasuk, the final verse, Vishavtem ba'eretz asher natati la'avotechem v'chitem li la'am va'anuchi echeh lachem le'elohim. All right, and that'll be our liturgy for tonight. Again, the I want you to key in on this key, on, on this central uh, concept that's locked within these promises. It's the concept that there is a future spiritual corporate redemption that is awaiting the people of Israel as is seen in these passages. One day God is going to sprinkle clean water upon the lot of them 
clean them, remove their idols from them, and then he's going to do a heart surgery, right? He's going to do open heart surgery, heart transplant, take out the heart of stone, which is the, the, the heart that resists the words of God and the Spirit of God, and, and it's that heart of stone that is saying no to Yeshua currently, but God's going to change all that. He's going to put a new heart within them and take away the stony heart, and then it's within that new heart uh, that that his spirit will move into them as a people group, and then there will be this cause and effect going on in verse 27, and they will keep the ways of God. They'll they'll for the first time as a people group be able to walk in the Torah the way God intended them to walk it. They'll keep his statutes and his ordinances. They'll do them, and all of this will be couched within the picture of verse 28, dwelling in the land safely, of course from their enemies. They will be pronounced as God's people, and God will be recognized as their God. And all of this, of course, is is spoken of in other passages of the Tanakh, namely Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, where we read about the new covenant that God is going to initiate with the house of Israel and the house of Judah uh, in those days. And we also know as Christians, as believers, as, as those in the Gentile believers, that parts of this promise have already come to pass, namely the the promise of the new covenant has broken into the present, so that even though parts of this passage await future redemption, right, corporate Israel has yet to walk into and receive this new heart and receive the spirit and walk into the ways of God as a corporate people, yet on an individual basis, individual Israelites, both Jews and Gentiles who are part who make up Israel, have been coming to Messiah for thousands of years, uh, since even the times of this prophecy and even before, if you want to uh, uh, get technical with it. So we know that New Covenant is something that is not necessarily time-bound. Um, so these are just some, some thoughts I want to put in front of you. If you have more questions about this concept, uh, what I'm talking about, um, send me an email. I know many of you uh, are listening and corresponding with me via uh, email. So uh, write in and, and ask me some more questions about that. Okay, Let's turn now to the um, New Testament section, the Apostolic Scriptures, the Brit Chadashah, uh, the Renewed Covenant Scriptures, the Latter Ketuvim, whatever label you've decided to distinguish as part of the Bible. Um, we're in the book of Galatians, and we're in chapter 5, and what we're going to be looking at by way of liturgy is we're going to start in verse um, 16, and we're actually going to read down through the end of the chapter. And um, we're going to be in this section for till the end of, of our notes, so we're just going to uh, take a big bite out of these, what, 10 or 11 verses, verse 16 through, I think it's verse 28, uh, whatever the end of the passage is, um, 26, so 16 through 26. We'll read uh, those 11 verses, and then uh, tonight we'll only start in verse 16 as far as our commentary. I'm going to do something a little bit different for the liturgy tonight. I've got, for those of you who are in my live class, I've got the um, BibleHub.com interlinear uh, commentary, uh, interlinear uh, passage pulled up, which allows me to see um, a variety of things to include the original Greek right here in the middle in the black, and then above and below that there's some other helpful information. And um, one of the things I'm going to be reading is I'll read the Greek, but before that I'll read the what I call the wooden English version that is right below the Greek. Some people call this a pony version, meaning one word sits on top of the other word. That's what we mean by pony version. So 
what this will allow us to do is to just see the kind of see the exact syntax that is the word order of the Greek as compared to the English and it'll allow you to see which words Paul put in front which there's a concept in Greek where the words that are thrown in the front of the sentence carry the more emphasis and that's kind of the, the, the con that's kind of one of the um, um, aspects of the Greek language at least uh, uh, Koine Greek that Paul's writing in is um, that the more important concepts are found usually up front the earlier clauses the, the, the words that are up front and so we'll be able to see this as I read the Greek tonight I'm going to read actually the English and I'll go clause by clause and then I'll pause and read the Greek corresponding and then I'll just go back and read English and then Greek, English, Greek, English, Greek and the, the, the English will sound a little wooden sound like a Yoda kind of backwards talking you know strong am I you know weak are you it'll sound kind of odd like that where the noun precedes the verb pizza I eat that type of concept but that's okay I don't think you guys are going to get lost in this so uh, so we'll only do this tonight it's because we're, we're we're starting this new section and I I, I couldn't resist it it's also because we're going to be reading through this familiar list where we read about the, the fruit of the spirit uh, which is a, a, a list that many people have memorized uh, from the Bible and this will be kind of neat to see each Greek word corresponding to the English that we're used to reading when we read about about the list with the fruit of the spirit love joy peace long suffering gentleness peace meekness you know those types of things it'll be neat to see the greek corresponding okay all right without further ado let's entertain this this won't take too long by the way maybe five minutes and then we'll jump right into the study all right verse 16 reads i say moreover by the spirit walk the greek says lego de pneumati parapateta and desire flesh no, not, you should not gratify. Kai epithumian sarakas ume teleseta. Verse 17. The indeed flesh desires against the spirit. He garasarks epithume katatu penumatas. And the spirit against the flesh. To de penuma katate sarakas. These indeed tautagar, to one another are opposed, alelois antiketai, in order not that if you might wish, hina me hain thaleta, those things you should do, tauta poeta. Verse 18, if more, moreover the spirit you are led by, e de pnoati agesthe, not you are under law, uk Este kupanamon. Verse 19. Evident moreover, moreover are the works of the flesh. Fanera de estin ta te sarakas, which are hatina estin, sexual immorality, pornea, impurity, akatharsia, sensuality, aselgea, idolatry, starting in verse 20 now, idolatry, Edolatria, sorcery, pharmakeia, enmities, echthrai, strife, eris, jealousy, zelos, fits of rage, thumoi, contentions, erethei, dissensions, dikastasiae, factions, aireses, uh, and then starting at verse 20, envyings, phthanoi, drunkennesses, that's interesting, drunkennesses, uh, methai, carousing, komoi, and things like these, kaita hamoya tautois, 
as to which I forewarn you, ha prolego, human, even as I warned before, kathos proepon, that those such things doing, hati hoita toyauta prasantes, kingdom gods not will inherit. Basileon theu kreonamesusen. All right, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is ho de carpas tu panumatas, estin, love, agape, joy, chara, peace, irene, patience, makrotumia, kindness, crestotes, goodness, agatusune, faithfulness, pistis. And then starting in verse 23. Uh, gentleness, prautes, self-control, inkratea, against things such, katatontoyuton, know there is law, uk estinamas. And then verse 24, those moreover of Christ Jesus, hoide tu Christu Jesu, the flesh have crucified, tensarak estarosen, with its passions and Desires, suntois pathemason, kaitais epithumias. And then verse 25 If we live by the Spirit, a zomen penumati, by the Spirit also we should walk. Penumati kais doichomen. And then the last verse, uh, verse 26 Not we should become boastful, me genomatha kinadoxoi, one another provoking, aleluus. Procaluminoi, procaluminoi, one another envying. Alelois phtantuntes. All right, that'll be your liturgy for tonight. Thought I'd have some fun with the Greek and the English, the pony version. Hope you enjoyed being able to see, to hear or see if you're in my live class, but hear the Greek and the corresponding English. I thought it was really fun as I was studying through this uh, this week, just uh, meditating on the the fruit of the spirit list, the nine fruits there that we're used to uh, uh, hearing in sermons, starting in verse uh, 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those fruits that are mentioned uh, that we've memorized growing up. So let's turn to my commentary tonight, um, and we're going to study, starting in verse 18, just by way of review from last week, we studied verse 13, 14, we skipped 15, and then we jumped to 16 and 17. So if I turn to like uh, English Standard Version here real quick, uh, for those of you on the screen, uh, 13 and 14, Paul was reminding us about the freedom that we enjoy as believers, as, as those who have been, who've made a profession of faith. And as a community, we, we have to remind ourselves that not everybody who makes the profession of faith is actually a genuine believer yet. Nevertheless, there are many within our communities that are going along because they're still in what we call decision mode. They're, they're still trying to figure out if this Jesus is the Messiah, if this is the thing that, that, that they should be doing with their lives. But as a community, it's the responsibility to continue to walk in 
that profession of faith and to continue to avail yourselves of the Spirit as a community. So there's a, 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 there's always this community responsibility that Paul is going to be addressing when he's talking about you, brothers. You were called to freedom, brothers. He can say brothers because as a community, they have made a profession of faith. Even though Paul knows, just like every good pastor, not every one of them is a true believer. And so he's he's addressing the whole lot of them. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to fl- for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. We talked about how last week that this serving one another through love propels us into verse 14 of Paul's letter where he says the whole law is fulfilled, fulfilled in this one word about loving your neighbor as yourself. Of course, that's a lift from uh, Leviticus 19.18, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which Yeshua has designated as the second greatest commandment. Of course, the Judaisms of Yeshua's day must have already made that designation because when he mentioned that the first and the second were love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself as being the second. The, the, the leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, etc., they didn't disagree with them. They didn't correct them. Notice that. This tells us that there had already been kind of this, this traditional pecking order that was being um, uh, kind of taught to the people of Israel. So Paul picks up on this about how that the whole law hangs on this sense of loving your neighbors yourself. Of course, Paul knows uh, very well that love for one's neighbor can only grow out of genuine love for God first. So thus the first commandment propels us into this responsibility of the second greatest commandment, right? We must avail ourselves of loving God without our heart, soul, and mind like we read about in the Shema of Deuteronomy uh, of 6 verse 5. And then it is from that personal relationship of loving God that we then take on the responsibility of loving our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, it becomes our duty to extend the the vertical relationship they have with God to uh, to a horizontal level to to our neighbors. And that's basically uh, I can understand why Paul will say the whole law is fulfilled by that. In other words, based uh, just like he said in, in in 1 Corinthians, the great love chapter, where we read about you know faith, hope, love. These three and the greatest of these is love, right? So we can understand why love is the one word that fulfills all of the Torah. And then of course there's that warning: if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. All right, biting and devouring one another is not walking in love. Obviously, it's living according to the flesh. And it's with that introduction of verse 13 and 14 that Paul introduces this 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 lifestyle that the community of, of believers there in Galatia were expected to uh, not only avail themselves of or not only demonstrate, but they were um, encouraged that they would not be alone in this endeavor, in this walk of love, right? I can hear Paul saying, you know, um, the whole follow, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I can hear someone saying, how can I love my neighbor? He's just a, he's just a, and you'll fill in the blank. You know, I look at him and he's so fill in the blank. And it's it's a pejorative fill in the blank. You know, it's a less than, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's um it's um a you know it's a derogatory uh mindset how can i love my neighbor when he's so fill in the blank you know this this un, undesirable neighbor why do i have to love how can i love him i can't do it but paul's going to remind them that it's not just human ingenuity that's going to propel you into loving your neighbor. It's actually walking by the Spirit. God himself didn't just set you free in order to leave you to flop around on your own like a fish out of water, 
rather, there is an investment that God has made into your life uh, as a believer, and that is that he not only cleanses you from sin, but he also fills you with his spirit. Remember the Ezekiel passage again. He takes out the stony heart, that's the, the dealing with sin part, and then he replaces it with a heart of flesh and it's the heart of flesh that can receive the spirit of God and can subsequently uh, engage in the words of God right so um, there's no way you'll be able to fulfill the law and love your neighbor as yourself if you're trying to do it under your own power that's the whole point of being filled with the spirit is that the spirit is going to be empowering you to uh, fulfill the law or to to walk in the righteous requirement of the law to quote Romans uh, 8 verse 3 and 4 and 5 somewhere around there Um, but uh, uh, it's this loving your neighbor as yourself that will be done under the power of the spirit so we move into this section that most people's Bibles uh, label keep in step with the spirit or walking according to the spirit something like that and Paul's going to finish this chapter these last 11 verses with this life in the spirit and he's going to continue to contrast as I'm leading into my commentary here he's going to continue to contrast life in the spirit as compared to and contrasted against life in the flesh now you have to remember that Galatians is one of Paul's earliest letters if not his first letter that we have uh, historically um, for us in the canon and so it's very short it's very terse it's to the point it's kind of abridged um, there's not a lot to it I'm not sure if he was just short on supplies short on time or if he was just heated emotional and just wanted to get it out to him quick we're not sure what for whatever reason there's not a lot of fleshing out of his theological concepts in this letter and so when he when he moves into the section about walking this by the spirit and resisting the urge to to live according to the old nature, you have to remember that um, in order to understand the fullness of what Paul is uh, teaching us here in this shortened version of Galatians, kind of the the uh, the, the Reader's Digest version or the, the Cliff Notes version, if you want to get a longer treatment, you you should go over to the book of Romans and and I found that corresponding to this part about walking in the Spirit. If you start in about, say, Romans chapter 6 and read 6, 7, and eight in one setting. Read those three chapters, Romans six, seven, and eight. And we're gonna, if we have time tonight after my study, um, if I'm not too long over into the hour, uh, I'll I'll pull up some of that um, Romans material, and it it goes along with understanding what what Paul's teaching here in Galatians. This idea of 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 freedom from from sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom from the old nature, being set free from the old passions and desires, and yet then being given the ability by God's Spirit to to have a desire to walk in God's ways, to walk according to the Torah, to love one's neighbor, to turn away from sin, to say no to the flesh, to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, and then continue to, to be a, a Spirit-led individual, right? To be Holy Spirit-led. And all of that is fleshed out in the longer version of Romans. So Romans is the best commentary to the book of Galatians. So Romans 6, 7, and 8, those three chapters are great commentary to this section in the book of Galatians. Uh, in fact, in, indeed, to the whole the book of Galatians as a whole. Just one last warning. Remember, when you're reading to the book of Galatians, the, the audience, the target audience of the book of Galatians is a group of Gentiles who are... Uh, being tempted to turn to a, a a Torah that is 
um, micromanaged by the Judaisms of the groups of Judaisms that had existed in Paul's day. In other words, the Torah is being leveraged as a boundary-defining concept. Uh, uh, it's uh, the, the 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 commandments of the law and the, of the Torah are being um, defined as um, boundary markers between not just Jews and Gentiles, but even between Jews and other Jews. So that we got this highly charged sectarian. Uh, uh, a community uh, that existed in Paul's day, um, very uh, kind of, um, you know, everyone's got the right uh, view of Torah, and you got to join our group if you want to get it right, and things like that. And so um, that's that's the kind of the, the the social background that the Book of Galatians is in, and the Gentiles are kind of wondering: Should we join the Jewish groups? Should we convert? Should we become proselytes? Should we? Um, take on physical circumcision and obligate ourselves to whatever halakha uh, the group that we've joined to is imposing upon us. And Paul is going to come along and say, that's not necessary. If you're seeking to be uh, counted as genuinely righteous and genuinely saved, then you don't need to uh, convert to Judaism to accomplish that. You just need to place your faith in Messiah, be filled with the Spirit, and continue to walk that lifestyle as a Gentile. You will then be counted as a genuine covenant member in God's eyes, and therefore you will be reckoned as genuinely righteous. And that's the book of Galatians. When we get to the book of Romans, we have a, a group of people that Paul hasn't even met yet. He's writing to them in advance. And there's a tendency in the book of Rome, in, in the book of Romans, in the, the church at Rome, there's a tendency for the Gentiles to think, well, we don't need the Judaisms anymore. We've superseded them. We've surpassed them as the new people of God. And therefore, um, we the, instead of a Judaizing tendency like the book of Galatians, the book of Romans is written with this Gentilizing tendency. Yeah, guys understand what I'm saying there? So uh, Paul's thrust in the book of Romans is slightly different. Uh, his target audience is different than the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, uh, the 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 the... Gentiles are seeking to Judaize, that is to take on Jewish identity, versus in the book of Romans, the Gentiles are seeking to Gentilize, that is to to throw off any relationship to the Jewish synagogue and communities and relationship to Torah and relationship to to uh, that whole uh, identity of Israel. They're, they're seeking to self-identify as, as this new people group. And it's within that social mindset that Paul has to write in advance, right? He hadn't been there versus in Galatians. He, he had visited them and he's writing after the fact. So, but aside from those differences between the two books, the, the, there's the theology behind um, being set free from sin, being sanctified by, by God himself, uh, being filled with the Spirit of God, and then uh, being empowered to uh, walk in God's ways and to love your neighbor as yourself and to fulfill the Torah. Those two concepts uh, are both identical in both books, right? Galatians and Romans. All right, so that's our background. That's where we're uh, where we're starting tonight. Now we can jump straight into verse 18. Uh, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. All right, now it seems like we hit a brick wall as far as messianics. But those of you who listen to my commentary and follow along with my teachings for any length of time know that I'm a strong advocate for uh, Paul teaching both Jews and Gentiles in Messiah that the Torah has ongoing relevance for us, meaning 
uh, contrary to the classical Christian position of the last uh, 2,000 years or so, I believe that the Torah, the, the, the Tanakh, promises that when God places his spirit into his people, that instead of turning away from Torah or being, or, or, or rather than coming to this concept or mindset or idea that we're set free from the law, that in other, in, in other words, instead of a law-free gospel, the reverse is true. What happens is when God sets us free by the power of, of, of the risen Messiah, when God fills us with the Spirit and writes his words on our heart, well then the result is that we will actually become more Torah observant. We will actually become genuinely Torah observant. And you say, well, Ariel, where do you get that concept? Well, duh, if you weren't listening to my liturgy tonight, it's right there in the book of Ezekiel for us, to be sure. Right? It's all found all throughout the uh, book of Deuteronomy. And it's also in the familiar passage uh, that's quoted at length in the book of Hebrews, twice, right? Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. What passage is that? It's the passage out of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33, the, the new covenant passage that most of us are familiar with, where God says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It won't be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers, the one that they broke. But here's the covenant that I will make with them, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their inward parts, and I will cause them to walk in my ways. All right, so that's the essence of this new covenant is that God gives us a new heart, and the result of that is that there will be a new walk. And this new walk is described in the pages of the talk as walking according to his statutes and ordinances, walking according to his ways. We just read about that in the book of, of Ezekiel. And so that's why I can't espouse to the popular Christian theology that teaches that now that we have come to faith in Messiah, i.e. now that we have been set free from our personal sin, now that we have, uh, now that the old heart has been removed and the new heart has been put into us, now that we have the Spirit on the inside, I can't follow along with the theology that says, now I'm free from the law and free from any obligation to keep the law, free from any vestige of Torah observance, etc., uh, etc. Et you guys understand what I'm saying. Nearly every Christian commentary that you can consult on this verse, we're going to read this in my commentary, goes down this road of a law-free gospel. So, if you're led, uh, let's let's turn now to my commentary and jump right into it. I'm going to just read most of it, and that way uh, we should be able to cover most of the time efficiently. So let's turn to my commentary to page. Scroll down here. We are on page 167. If you're following along with me on the written notes, or if you've got the uh, the show notes that I sent out to you in advance, we are in verse 18. Galatians 5.18, ESV once more. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. All right, let's talk about this. Here's what I have to say. Nearly every Christian commentary I consulted on this verse interpreted it in such a way as to teach that being Spirit-led meant that one was no longer bound by Torah ceremonies and the like. Taking the phrase, not under the law, right? The Greek is hupanamon, um, not under the law, to indicate quote, not under obligation to carry out the letter of the law, end quote. All right? To be sure, I go on to say, most of those same commentaries looked ahead in Galatians to uh, chapter 6, verse 2, uh, where they contrast the law, namos, in this verse, presumed to be the law of Moses, with the law of Christ in 6, 2. 
So uh, we're going to cover that when we get to it in time. But and So we'll see more on law of Christ in my comments to that verse below in time. But as was to be expected, I say in my notes here, as was to be expected, those same Christian commentaries cross-referenced Paul's words in Romans. There's Romans again, right? Romans 6.14, particularly because the entire phrase, not under the law, was used there as well. So um, let's do this real quick. Let's pull up Romans, and that way we'll have uh, something we can look at. Romans, let's pull up uh, chapter 6 here as well for you. Give me a moment. I should have had this open in advance. I apologize. Um, We're using the Bible version once more. And let's just go to chapter 6. And let's turn to the ESV version for a second. All right. So in Romans Romans 6.14, which we're going to look at, uh, Romans 6.14 reads, and I'll just read 14 and 15, because these two verses are very familiar to us. It reads, quote, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And then verse 15, What then are we to sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? Right. And if we were to turn to the, um, the uh, Greek of that, the interlinear that I'm using here, uh, what did I say? Verse 14 and 15... Uh, sin indeed you not will rule over not indeed you are under law but under grace. Hamartia gar humun u kurese u gar este hupa naman. This phrase right here, hupa naman, under law, is the same thing that we read about in uh, uh, Galatians 5:18. Same Greek exactly under the law or under law. We don't have to have the. Uh, there's actually not the article there. It's not under the law. Hupa tanaman or hupa holnaman or something like this. It's actually just literally under law. Um, and then when we get down to verse 15, what then shall we sin? Because not we are under law, but under grace. Tiun hamartisomen hati ukesmen hupa naman Allah hupa charen megnoito. May it never be. We have the same Greek phrase uh, under law. I'm sorry here, hupa naman. And again, it, there's no article between, so it's not really under the law. It's actually under law. And I've heard some commentaries make a big, big deal out of that under the law versus under law. Um, I don't tend to do that because uh, the scriptural, uh, the textual um, evidence seems to support Paul using under the law and under law somewhat synonymously. Nevertheless, let's keep reading my commentary. So we've got Romans 6, 14 and 15 that are very, very familiar passages to most uh, Bible readers. And it's those two passages that help us, uh, I'm sorry, that give us a, a, a curiosity when it comes to understanding this verse here in Galatians. But let's keep reading my commentary for a moment, okay? Like I said, as was to be expected, those same Christian commentaries cross-referenced uh, Romans 6.14 because the same phrase, not under the law, was used there as well. David H. Stern's complete Jewish Bible translate this Galatians commentary verse very strangely. He reads, quote, uh, we're near to the top of page 168 in my uh, commentary here. Uh, quote, this is David Stern, Dr. Stern. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not in subjection to the system that results from perverting the Torah into legalism, end quote. And uh, 
I got to hand it to Dr. Stern. He's, he knew that Paul was using this phrase under the law in a technical sense, but he didn't know exactly what to make of it, in my opinion. And so he translates under the law, Hupanaman, as um, basically a system of law-keeping that is tantamount to legalism because it perverts genuine law-keeping the way God intended it to be into its perverse version, which it's, which it's kind of its evil doppelganger version of perverse law-keeping, which is um, identifies as legalism. And so that's why he uses the phrase, the phrases system, perversion, legalism, things like that. He understands that Paul's trying to describe um, a first century Jewish deficiency when it came to understanding uh, the, 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 the gracious intent of God's law. And so, uh, yes, the Jewish people were misunderstanding um, the spiritual intentions behind uh, keeping the Torah, although uh, I don't think it's as, as woodenly legalistic as, as the Christian church describes it. In other words, David Stern seems to uh, carry the same Christian concept of that the Judaisms of the first century were preoccupied with keeping the law in a legalistic fashion, as if it were kind of a simplistic grocery list that would, that if kept uh, routinely, would propel a person into the age to come or into a status of righteousness, viz. keeping the law equaled salvation or merit theology equals salvation, uh, that type of thing. And I think that historically it can be shown now that at this point, at this point in time of our uh, of Pauline studies, it can be shown that that's probably not the best way to characterize the first century Jewish view of law keeping. To be sure, it is still legalism, but it's a unique kind of legalism that instead of perverting the law into a a, a, a wooden list of do's and don'ts, the law was instead perverted into an ethnic marker, a boundary marker, uh, a, a social device that was wielded in such a way as to uh, separate uh, people group from people group. And, and that still uh, is tantamount to legalism, but it's a unique kind of legalism. It's the kind that we're not used to reading about uh, in our modern day and age. All right, so I'm going to have to disagree, I say at the top of page 168 in my commentary, I'm going to have to disagree with all of the standard Christian commentaries on this verse that talk about uh, that when Paul says we're no longer, uh, if you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law, where those Christian commentaries basically uh, say that under the law means that we're no longer obligated to keep the law. Um, for instance, I've got, um, uh, who is this, uh, Don Garlington's Galatians Commentary pulled up, for those of you who are with me in the live class right now, and uh, Garlington comment, comments on this same verse here in, in his commentary. Interestingly, by way of um, uh, backstory, is that Garlington is actually a student of James D.G. Dunn, who's one of my favorite uh, Bible commentaries, uh, commentators. And James D.G. Dunn has enabled us to a peek into the social Judaisms of Paul's day in a more accurate way uh, than before. Uh, James Dunn is what we might call a new perspectivist uh, Pauline teacher, and he's able to describe um, the first century Judaisms in a, in, a, in a far more accurate light than has been known previously because of his uh, reliance upon um, the uh, inside peek into the rabbinic documents as well as um, uh, corroborating Paul's pro positive uh, views on Torah with the rest of what he has to teach in his letters. My point is that G Garlington actually uh, carries the same 
Christian the, uh, theological mindset as most commentators in that he thinks that Paul is teaching that we no longer have to keep the law because we are spirit-led. Um, and this is all the more interesting when we realize that Garlington is a student of of Dunn. Uh, just FYI, Dunn himself doesn't think that Christians should be keeping the Torah. Isn't that a shocker? As highly regarded as I uh, make Dunn's commentaries to be and offer them, and I do highly suggest that you go out and pick up James D.G. Dunn's commentaries to the book of Galatians and Romans, etc., because you're going to get, uh, a, a, in my opinion, a more a more sharply focused, sociological, historically accurate view of Paul uh, rather than the, tr- the prevailing Christian views. Nevertheless, uh, Dunn, being a Christian, comes to a conclusion that Paul is teaching that we no longer have to keep the law as well. Isn't that strange? So, uh, in, in just looking at Garlington real quick here, Garlington also says, uh, quote, I'll just read one or two one or two uh, uh, lines here. In telling the Galatians that spirit-led people, I'm right here, uh, in telling the Galatians that spirit-led people are not under the law, Paul is making two closely related points. The one is that they do not live in the age of law before the outpouring of the Spirit, the time of bondage. In this sense, they are not under the authority of the Mosaic economy. Historically speaking, spirit and law occupy different turf in salvation history. Indeed, the advent of the Spirit is proof positive that the era of the Torah has passed away forever. Look at that that verse there. I'm sorry, that the line there. Uh, the advent of the Spirit is proof positive that the era of the Torah has passed away forever. Uh, or, in practical terms, uh, Garlington says, the Spirit does not lead one in the way of Torah, only in the path of the law of Christ. Those who devote themselves to the law observance do not, in point of fact, possess the Spirit. Right? Uh, th- these, these two sentences here, that the Spirit does not lead one in the way of the Torah, only in the path of Christ, and that those who devote themselves to law observance do not, in point of fact, possess the Spirit. Those two sentences, I, I, they're diametrically, I'm sorry, Dr. Garlington, they are diametrically opposed to what I just read in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, where God says, I'll put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Hello? Look at the cause and effect. And I'm going to try, people, those of you who are listening to my commentary, please don't understand my tone to be disrespectful or condescending or anything like that when I say hello. It's just, I, I can't, I can't understand Dr. Garlington's um, terminology there, uh, his, his, cons- his, his mindset where he says, the spirit does not lead one in the way of the Torah. When in black and white, <laughs> Ezekiel says the Spirit will lead you in the way of Torah. So it's a challenge. I, I understand it's it's very uh, difficult to move away from this this historic mindset that's been taught to us as Christians for 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 centuries that that the Spirit leads us away from the Torah and that those who devote themselves to law observance do not, in point of fact, possess the Spirit. But I, I'm sorry, but the, the the Tanakh disagrees with that theology, and so. If I have to choose between the the, the well-meaning, well-educated uh, Christian commentaries of late and uh, uh, the writer to the book of Ezekiel, who I'm not sure how educated he was. I know he was a priest, but I don't know what it, if he had a doctor degree from this seminary and that seminary. I'm going to have to go with Ezekiel's words here, uh, since this is holy writ. And uh, if God says he puts his spirit within us and causes us to walk in his statutes and keep his ordinances, then... 
I'm going to have to believe that at face value. I'm, I'm just going to have to believe that that's gospel truth. And I'm going to have to believe that uh, Dr. Gardington here is just a bit uh, misinformed at this point in time. But nevertheless, the point I, the point I brought up, uh, the point in bringing out that, that I'm not trying to denigrate Dr. Garlington, like I said, his commentary is well-meaning, or Dr. Dunn, or even Dr. Stern. I'm not trying to tear down these great men of God. Um, what I am trying to say is that if you're going to turn to traditional Christian commentaries to understand the book of Galatians, you're going to have to contend with the with the very real fact that the traditional viewpoint is a is an is is not heavily pro-Torah. It's going to be heavily, um, I don't want to say anti-Torah, because that's not quite what I'm trying to convey, but they just don't think that we should be keeping Torah. That's that's basically it. So I'm going to have to disagree with Stern's translation on this verse as well. I don't think that Paul's pitting Torah observance against being led by the Spirit, nor is he contrasting the life of the Spirit with a life of legalism. In other words, merit theology, works, salvation. I don't think that's what the first century Judaisms were wielding the, the Torah in that fashion. They weren't simply thinking that if they could do X, Y, Z, that they would be able to become righteous or become covenant members. In fact, they thought they were already covenant members because of their ethnicity. They didn't. Re- they weren't really striving to become. They were striving to maintain, if we could use that language. So, uh, let's keep reading my commentary. We're starting right here uh, near the top of page 168. As was discussed in section 7 of my own commentary here, as well as the summary above, when Paul uses the phrase, under the law in his letters. Listen up, people, because I'm going to give you what I think is a better way to understand this phrase. I think that this phrase, under the law, is usually utilized in a technical fashion, referring either to Jewish identity at times or to the condemnation that the Torah spells out for sinners at other times. And this condemnation, of course, is brought on by a person's penchant lust for repeated and unremorseful sin. And that's why the Torah steps into the life of an unregenerate sinner and actually condemns him and uh, and the torah acting i'm sorry sin acting through torah has the the power to actually cause an individual to sin repeatedly more and more and we read about that actually in Romans uh, chapter 7 where Paul uses the language of uh, the power of sin is actually the Torah. Isn't that shocking that that, that Paul would describe the Torah that way? In fact, um, let me just look at it here. It's Romans uh, 7, I want to say verse, let me turn to the ESV version real quick. Uh, Romans 7, oh let's see, where is it? Um... Uh, uh, probably around verse seven, starting in verse around uh, eight um, and nine. Uh, sin seizes an opportunity through the law, uh, things like that. Um, so any, anyway, and actually, I think it's in eight where he talks about how that uh, sin apart from the law is actually dead. Um, uh, things like that. So um, th- this idea that uh, 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 sin and the law have this diabolical relationship with one another is kind of what Paul's getting at when he talks about under the law. We're under a, condom- a condemning feature of the law. So let me keep reading my commentary here. So it's this technical term that is determined by the context of whatever verses that we find in surrounding it. So I say context must determine which use is in view. And since Paul is in the middle of a dialogue about old nature versus the new nature that is controlled by the spirits and filling, we can safely interpret 
under the law here in uh, Galatians 5.18, in this verse as shorthand for under the condemnation of the law. And I think that's the best way to see it there. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the condemnation of the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the dominion of the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the power of the uh, propensity to sin that the law and sin have towards one another. And it's because you are a new creation. And the, there's been a severing of the law's tie on the old nature that is within you. And that's and you can read about that again. Go back and read Romans 7 and Romans 8, Romans 6, 7, and 8 as one group. And you'll see that's what I'm talking about there. All right, so let me go back to Romans 7 there. Um, I go to say on my commentary, and I, I think I should be able to finish this tonight, uh, if you'll allow me to just to go maybe another 10 minutes. Um, this verse, I say in my notes, not only emphasizes our freedom from condemnation, right? We're not under the condemnation of the law as believers, but it also emphasizes our need, need to be spirit-led. So let's turn now towards the positive parts of the verse uh, about being spirit-led, right? If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Here's what I have to say. And I'll just, at this point in time, I'll just kind of read without stopping. I actually interpret the term led by the Spirit to be a tantamount to being filled with the Spirit, which is a phrase that's familiar to us. It's found in footnote number 157 in my notes shows it's Ephesians 5.18 where Paul says, Be not be drunk with wine, but be led by the Spirit. Be, be, be not drunk with wine, which is debauchery or dissipation, uh, but be uh, 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 filled with the Spirit instead. Um, so, as one reads through my commentary here to exegeting Galatians and notices the way that I regularly disagree with standard Christian commentaries, right? I just, uh, you know, raked Dr. Stern, Dr. Uh, uh, Garlington and and Doctor Dunn across the coals, right? I raked them across the coals. It seems like I want you. I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea here. When you read through my commentaries, you get the idea. The way I regularly disagree with Christian commentaries, I keep saying one might get the impression that I have nothing positive to say about the prevailing Christian views at all, and that's far from the case. In point of fact, I actually have the utmost respect for every Christian translator and commentator that I encounter, often gleaning rich spiritual nuggets from their non-law-related materials. Right? To be sure, as I'm going to mention now, Dr. John MacArthur is one of my all-time favorites. Yep, Johnny, Johnny Mac, John MacArthur. He's one of my favorites. I grew up listening to him as a Christian, even before I was a Messianic, because I was raised as a, as a Baptist. And so John MacArthur was, has been preaching since before I was born, and, and you know his, his voice is in my head. And uh, I worked at a Christian radio station for 10 years, I'm sorry, for seven years. And uh, John MacArthur was one of the shows that we uh, regularly featured on that radio program. So, uh, John MacArthur is one of my favorites, and because of his pertinent words on the concept of being filled with the Spirit, I want to quote him at length here, and, and he's going to close out my commentary tonight. All right? Facets of spiritual filling. This is directly from, um, from John MacArthur's website. And I'll, I'll give you the footnote after I read through his notes. This is going to be about, oh, probably about half a page or almost a full page worth. Listen up. All right? Tell me what you think about this. Facets of spiritual filling. This is uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. John MacArthur. When we use the word fill in English, we normally think of something being placed into a container such as milk being poured to the brim of a glass, water being run into a bathtub, or gasoline being pumped into a gas tank. But none of those examples conveys precisely the meaning of to fill 
or be filled, as does the Greek plerao, a form of which is used in Ephesians 5.18, where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Plerao has three shades of meaning that are helpful in illustrating the spiritual meaning of Spirit-filled. Listen up very carefully. The first of these three carries the idea of pressure, and it's used to describe wind billowing the sails on a ship, providing the impetus to move the vessel across the water. In the spiritual realm, uh, MacArthur explains, this concept depicts the Holy Spirit providing the thrust to move the believer down the pathway of obedience. A spirit-filled Christian isn't motivated by his own desires or will to progress. Instead, will to progress. Instead, he allows the Holy Spirit to carry him in the proper directions. Okay, so that's the first concept of this phrase plero, this Greek word plero, which is translated as uh, filled or fulfilled, something like that. The next one that that uh, MacArthur describes for us is another helpful example. He says, and it is. I'm sorry, another helpful example of this first meaning is a small stick floating on a stream. All right, this is still within this first concept of pressure. I apologize. First concept. So the first example was the ship being pushed along by the wind, right? The sails are catching the wind. That's the pressure of the wind pushing against the sails, move the ships along the top of the water. But another um, example is the uh, meaning of a small stick floating in a stream. Most of us as children have tossed a stick into a creek and then run downstream to see the twig come floating by. I know I, I used to do this as well with popsicle sticks. Uh, propelled only by the force of the water, right? The pressure of the water is holding the popsicle stick along. And what happens? Uh, MacArthur says to be filled with the Spirit means to be carried along by the gracious pressure of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first concept. Second one, plerao can also convey the idea of permeation. Permeation. The well-known pain reliever Alka-Seltzer illustrates this principle quite effectively. Uh, John MacArthur says it this way, when you drop one or two tablets into a glass of water, they instantly begin to fizzle and dissolve. Soon, the tablets are transformed into clear bubbles throughout the glass, and the water is permeated with the distinct flavor of the Alka-Seltzer. In a similar sense, MacArthur reminds us, God wants the Holy Spirit to permeate and flavor our lives so when we're around others, they will know for certain we possess the pervasive savor of the Spirit. MacArthur goes on to his third example here. Third, uh, there's a meaning of plerao, and it's actually the primary one in the New Testament, which conveys a sense of domination. So we got those three, right? We got pressure, we have permeation, and now we have domination, all right, which is uh, total control. Uh, MacArthur goes on to say, uh, this word is used by the gospel writers to indicate that people were dominated by a certain emotion. Uh, an example, he says, in Luke 5.26, after Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and healed the paralytic, the people were astonished and, quote, filled with fear, end quote. You see that there? They were filled, they were dominated by fear. In Luke 6.11, when Jesus restored a man's hand on the Sabbath, the scribes and the Pharisees, quote, were filled with rage, end quote. Again, they were dominated with this emotional rage. They were filled, play with rage. 
And then when our Lord told the disciples that he would soon be leaving them, he told of their reaction, quote, sorrow has filled your heart, end quote. That's from John 16.6. And again, it's this overwhelming emotion that kind of overwhelms an individual. And the Greek uh, verb that's chosen more often in the New Testament is this plerao, this filled, which is uh, conveying the sense of dominating or empowering or, or over-empowering uh, total, you know, total control over, over you. You're kind of washed over over by this emotion. Each of those uses reveals an emotion so overwhelming, MacArthur says, within the people that it actually dominated their thoughts and excluded every other emotion, right? And when we consider the fact that emotion drives action, we can see how, how, how much more potent and important it is for us to understand this concept of allowing things to dominate our emotion because emotion very often gives rise to actions and deeds and 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 choices that we make are that are being driven by emotion right so let's keep reading we're almost done here um, MacArthur says most people are able to balance their emotions from day to day but there are times when the emotional balance is tipped to one extreme or another such occasions might include a wedding, the death of a close family member, or an extreme emergency or trial. And of course, looking at those examples, sometimes it's okay to be overtaken by emotion, right? You attend a wedding and you're overtaken with joy or you start crying because you're overtaken with happiness or sentiment or, or there's a death in the family and you attend the funeral or the wake and you're overtaken with grief and 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 tears start flowing and that's okay those are times when allowing the the emotion to dominate you is the right response on our part and i think that's what the the macarthur is recognizing when someone is totally dominated by a particular emotional reaction in secular contexts it can be foolish sometimes to be sure right sinful it can be a waste of time or even frightening and physically harmful and yes, all of that's true. But he goes on to say, in our spiritual lives, we are commanded to yield the, to the total control of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of every emotion, thought, and act of the will becoming under his direction, right? So every emotion, thought, and act of the will will be under the direction of the Holy Spirit if we yield to the total control of the Spirit, this Greek verb, plerao. That kind of complete spiritual control is not detrimental for us, I might add. Uh, uh, MacArthur says it is for our benefit and totally in line with God's will, right? God commands us to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Finally, uh, MacArthur says a direct parallel passage to Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16, which explains in a slightly different way the meaning of the command, quote, to be filled with the Spirit. There, the Apostle says, Apostle Paul says, Quote, and this is uh, Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, end quote. That is uh, uh, equal to uh, be filled with the Spirit, in, in, in uh, MacArthur's opinion here. And I actually agree with MacArthur there, that those two uh, concepts are, are uh, tantamount, they're, they're parallel to one another. You actually have to go back and read Ephesians 5.18 with Galatians 3.16, and you'll see uh, from the subsequent following verses that come from those 
from those initial verses that Paul describes the same concept of loving wives and, and this community concept of being filled with the Spirit, uh, being equated with letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. So um, MacArthur concludes by saying, one can be filled with the Spirit only when controlled by the Word. It is knowing truth and obeying it. Right? Interesting. It is knowing truth and obeying it. And I think that's really um, um, uh, fascinating that uh, Dr. MacArthur comes full circle in his commentary to what I've been saying in the book of, of by quoting from Ecle- uh, uh, Ezekiel again. It's that the the, the God's filling us with the Spirit, God filling Israel with the Spirit, of, uh, like the, like we read about in Ezekiel 36, 27, when God says he's going to fill them with his Spirit, the result is that they would become obedient to his word. And so we, say the same, we see the same sentiment being spoken of by um, Dr. MacArthur here. One can be filled with the Spirit only when controlled by the word, and it's knowing truth and obeying it. Right? There's this connection. We see a relationship, a, a vital relationship between spirit-filling and obedience to God's Word. Right, Spirit-leading uh, naturally is associated with uh, the fruit of, of keeping the Torah and becoming obedient to God's Word, becoming submissive to God's Word, etc., all right, does that make sense? So, uh, if you look at footnote number 158 real quick, I lifted that from John MacArthur. What does it mean to be spirit-filled or to be filled with the Spirit? Available at his website, www.gty, that's grace to you, dot org. All right, I think that's actually a commentary to Galatians, I'm sorry, to Ephesians 5.18, but I felt that it fit so well with uh, 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 Galatians um uh, 5.18 as well. So we got Ephesians 5.18 and we got Galatians 5.18 both uh, working together. Interesting that we can uh, remember that because they're both 5.18, just two different books. Galatians and Ephesians. All right, let's keep reading. Let's finish my commentary here tonight. Uh, as I say near the bottom of page 169, after reading through John MacArthur's notes there, right? Keep in mind that John MacArthur writes from the prevailing Christian perspective that we don't have to keep Torah anymore and that we've been set free from the law of Moses, that we no longer have an obligation to to walk into Sabbath and festival and kosher and all of these things and that the law of Messiah and the law of Christ prevails in our life, etc., etc. So John MacArthur is a, is a standard Christian theologian when it comes to his viewpoints on Torah. I grant that, okay? So so understand that's where he's writing from, but listen to what I have to say in my commentary, please. Here's what I say at the very end. Just this last paragraph for me. Such powerful words for us to contemplate. John MacArthur hit the nail on the head with this one. I cannot stress enough the importance of this need. We're almost done. We'll be done here in one or two minutes. As believers, we must absolutely, we absolutely must must, must be led or filled with the Spirit. We must be led by and filled with the Spirit. We must, must, must. Jesus, I say, must, must, must be first and foremost in our lives if we ever hope to bear genuine and lasting fruit for the kingdom of God and if we ever hope to live victorious lives over our stubborn flesh. Omain, Omain. As Paul is going to admonish us in a few verses from now, and we've read this in our liturgy, those who belong to Yeshua prove their belonging by living lives marked by being spirit-led and spirit-filled. Such individuals 
I say in closing, such individuals have, by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, not by human ingenuity, not of their own choosing, but the power of the Spirit within us, such individuals have crucified the sinful nature so that they not only live by the Spirit, but, and we're going to look at the Greek at this next time, they keep in step with the Spirit's leading. Amen? This is such a good place for us to stop and say amen and to close down the commentary with this with this word of encouragement about uh, God's Spirit leading us. Uh, this is kind of... Um, uh, in conclusion to what we talked about the last few podcasts, go back and listen. And that that is this point. And 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 I'll say this last thing. In all in 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 our endeavor as messianics to seek to be Torah observant, right? Seeking to to become obedient and return to the Hebraic lifestyle that we believe that God is leading us into as Jews and Gentiles in this body of Messiah. We 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 gravitate towards these Hebraic uh, traditions now. We we're we're suddenly interested in 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 what is in the food. We're suddenly interested in in um uh, w- you know what we should attach to our garments. Uh, we're suddenly interested in in what certain days fall on on the calendar according to uh, Leviticus chapter twenty three. In a word, as Gentile Christians who have entered into this Messianic movement or the Hebraic roots movement or or Torah roots movement, whatever you want to call it there, um, suddenly we, we, we have this awareness of our relationship to Israel. We're grafted in. We belong to the people group of Israel. We're not estranged. And these laws that God gave to Israel in the book of Moshe, in, in the books of, of, of Moshe, they're not different from my own laws they're they're for me they're not they're not a, an older part of my bible that just is there to inspire me they're actually there to to um dictate my way of life these are the things that that we come to as Christians, as we as we get introduced to the Messianic movement, right? And this is Baruch Hashem. This is such a wonderful response to the Spirit's moving and leading in our lives as He draws us back to the words of Isaiah as we return to what we call the ancient paths, wherein lies the blessing, if we can quote a, a Torah passage there. I think that's Jeremiah, if I'm correct. But uh, uh, the point is, we come we come to an awareness of 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 the of the scriptures of Israel, and we seek to to be pleasing to God, and we say, Lord, forgive me for for neglecting these laws for so long. Forgive me for for um, uh, ignoring them and not being aware of my responsibility to them. All right, all of that is good, but then somewhere along the line, sometimes what there's a danger in this messianic movement, and that is to to spend all of our time focusing on. Torah observance and and exactly what it means to keep the feast and keep kosher and and exactly how my seat seat should be tied and and you know how big should my mezuzah be on the doorpost and is it angled correctly and 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 is the scroll in there t- securely and 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 you know is my keep on my head correctly and and, and and things like that, we we start to become enamored with things messianic and Torah based, and sometimes we forget the fact that. The purpose of God filling us with the Spirit, yes, is to bring us into right relationship with Him and into right relationship with one another, but it's also to to continue to empower us to live lives that are pleasing to Him, that are uh, an example of, of, of what it means to be um, model Torah observant citizens in the kingdom of God 
And lastly, God fills us with the Spirit so that we can be a witness, so that we can bear fruit that can be uh, seen, that can be experienced by our community, and that can give us the power to witness to the lost, to people who are still in decision mode, to people who haven't heard the gospel. And so we need to focus, my point, as I'm trying to say, my challenge here, we, as, as I say this and step off my soapbox, we need, as a Messianic community, to not forget that one of the primary commands of the Apostolic Scriptures is to be filled with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, right? We've got to say no to our flesh and keep in line with the Spirit. So it is with that that we're going to turn to next week when we start looking through all of these, uh, you know, the, the works of the flesh as contrasted against the fruit of the Spirit and uh, remind ourselves that there is a battle that goes on inside of us as we seek to be Spirit-led and um, our old man, our old nature is going to war against us. But there's hope because God is going to give us the power to overcome the flesh. Amen. Amen. With that, let's close my commentary down. We went just a little over. I usually do go a little bit over an hour, hour and ten minutes or so. But I appreciate everyone staying with me uh, for the commentary. Uh, For those of you who are with me in the live study tonight, if you'd like to stay and discuss anything that we talked about or just chat for a little bit, you're certainly welcome to. You don't have to. Um, And for those of you who are listening to this commentary uh, by way of MP3 or uh, something like that, um, well, then you're missing out, all right? Come on out and join us each week if you'd like to ask questions and pose comments afterwards. I don't record them, so you don't, you're not under any pressure uh, or anything like that. They're not going to be uploaded and shared with everyone in the world via the Internet. You don't have to worry about that. I actually stopped the recording after uh, the live uh, study ends and, and things like that. So, But you're certainly welcome to come on out. We'd love to have you, okay? All right, let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, I bless your name, and I thank you for being able to uh, study with the students tonight, being able to share what was on my heart, being able, Lord, just to convey my thoughts and my passions. And, Lord, I thank you that you have given me the ability to... to uh, uh, comprehensively uh, collect my, my, my thoughts and put them on paper and put them into a commentary and then to be able to upload them to the internet for all to enjoy. I thank you, Lord, for this responsibility. I pray that you'll continue to uh, keep me on a short leash so that I do not stray far. Help me to continue to remind myself to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit so that I can be a light to those around me, so that I can be a light to my wife, so that I can be a light to my family members here in Korea, so that I can be a witness to uh, to the Koreans that I meet, so that I can um, be pleasing to you, Lord, so that I can understand uh, the words of Torah, so that I can um, be a responsible Torah teacher, uh, an internet teacher, and, and uh, to those who interact with me by way of, of email and, and, and through Skype and things like that, Lord, I need the Spirit's infilling to do all those things. I need the Spirit's power to turn away from my stubborn flesh that rises up and seeks to destroy me, to war against me, to tear me down and to bring me into shame and, and condemnation and, 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 and um, just all manner of, of disobedience, Lord. Uh, help me to turn away from that and to say no to it, say no to my flesh and to say yes to Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, allowing us to study your words. Uh, Give us um, a heart to do your will, uh, to put feet to our faith, to be obedient to you, uh, to to, uh, be filled with the words of Messiah so that we can uh, share them 
Lord, uh, be with us as we uh, go out this week and continue to raise us up as families and protect us, Lord, from the evil one. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>